Good. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, before we look at Revelation chapter 15 today, let's go to God in prayer and ask His blessings. Heavenly Father, thank you for the day. Thank you for the many blessings of life. Thank you especially for the opportunity to come and, and worship you in spirit and in truth here at Hill City. Uh, we ask your blessings upon us. Holy Spirit, be with us, um, not only as those who hear these words, uh, whether they're here or maybe even on, uh, on, uh, away from here uh, through, through video. Uh, just be with us, we ask you. And uh, may those words that come from me be far more powerful as they're heard rather than coming from my voice. So guide us to that end, we ask you now. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This is a relatively short chapter, Revelation 15, but uh, we're going to read it in its entirety this morning. So if you would, would you stand with me as we hear God's Word? Here's where John writes to us, Then I saw another sign in heaven, great and amazing, seven angels with seven, seven plagues, which are the last, for with them the wrath of God is finished. And I saw what appeared to be a sea of glass mingled with fire, and also those who had conquered the beast and its image and the number of its name standing beside the sea of glass with harps of God in their hands. And they sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and amazing are your deeds, O Lord God the Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of the nations. Who will not fear, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship you, for your righteous acts have been revealed. After this I looked, and the sanctuary of the tent of witness in heaven was opened. And out of the sanctuary came the seven angels with the seven plagues, clothed in pure bright linen with golden sashes around their chests. And one of the four living creatures gave to the seven angels seven golden bowls full of the wrath of God who lives forever and ever and the sanctuary was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from his power and no one could enter the sanctuary until the seven plagues of the seven angels were finished may God bless us with the reading and the understanding of this his word to our hearts and our minds this day amen you may be seated Here we go again with another sign. We talked a few weeks ago that these signs would be considered great. The next one's no different, though, as we see today. We've seen seven seals, we've seen seven trumpets, and we've seen seven personalities. Yet, this could arguably be the worst of the lot coming up. As we go along throughout this series... Can you just not feel the, that the tension and the anxiety amp, amping up within each chapter and each event taking place within these chapters? And yet this has been building a long, long time. You want proof of that? Simply look at Leviticus 26, verse 21. It says this, Then if you walk contrary to me and will not listen to me, I will continue striking you sevenfold for your sins. Did you catch that? This is a book that has begun to be written well before even the book of Revelation, but made it into its present final form in Leviticus, arguably between 538 and 330 C, or 2 B.C. 
People cannot say that they haven't been warned throughout this whole time. So here we go with chapter 15. In just a few short weeks, we'll be enjoying Thanksgiving. Can you believe that? This year has gone by so very, very quickly. Even worse, or or better, I suppose, and really all in how you look at it, a month after Turkey Day will be Christmas. Advent will be starting between Thanksgiving and Christmas in just a few short weeks. Many of you all may already be planning for these events, preparing carefully for each, um, each time period that will suddenly be here and then will suddenly be gone. But to me, some of the even better times of these days uh, coming up are the days just before they get here. Christmas Eve, New Year's Eve, things like that. The traveling, the joy, the the good tiredness, the sounds. Uh, If you have serious radio, Christmas music will start on the radio Wednesday. Hmm. Chapter 15, though, is not unlike one of those eaves. And while we can look at these weeks individually and see that uh, things continue to get worse each week, those of God's elect, the saved, can rejoice in their salvation. However, it should sadden us all as well who read this book any time in history that the unsaved will have to suffer as the book says it will happen. Yet as we read, should we not... I know we've been preaching and week in and week out this very thing that while Jesus is returning, we don't know when He is going to come back. And week in and week out, we're we're saying um, that we have to be ready. We have to be ready as followers of Jesus. But I think there should be a third disclaimer to come into this, into effect today. We need to be constantly preaching and teaching ourselves that the end, in all its horrific destruction, is going to come to both creation and to men and to women all over the world. But it doesn't have to end like that for everyone. They don't have to endure this horrific end if they simply turn their lives to Christ. You see, our God is a patient and loving God, not wanting to see anyone lost as we have said week in and week out from this pulpit. And we see that in 2 Peter 3, 9. And yet, doesn't it appear from this chapter God's patience may just about be coming to a screeching halt? If it's not there, it is very, very close. We have to again understand that that some of the events that we have, are, and will be taking place are not necessarily in chronological order. Remember as well, John is seeing all of this taking place, writing it all down as best he can. And this was done almost 2,000 years ago. So the timing element here may not be quite as crucial to the events that are to take place as whatever time they may actually occur. To me, this just sort of seems like the culmination of everything coming down the pike, if that makes sense. 
This chapter 15 is the beginning of God's judgment. This is where even throughout all the destruction we have seen in the past 14 chapters, the beginning of God's wrath is taking place. As Sergeant Joe Friday would say, for those of you who are old enough to remember Sergeant Joe Friday, just the facts, ma'am, just the facts. So we see in verse 1 that this will, this will also complete the anger of God. Man, what a completion, right? This goes beyond just simply finishing God's anger. This completes it. There is no more after this. But know that God will judge in the end and in the long run. There will be more concerning judgment in the, the coming chapters. But do remember one thing about this final judgment that's coming up. Satan and the beasts are going to be judged at this t- uh, same time. The Antichrist, the Antichrists, plural, all will be destroyed eternally. Now, go to verse 2, and we see that there's a, a sea of glass mingled with fire, and those who have victory over the beast, the image and the mark of the beast, and even those who had that number tattooed on them, on the forehead or on the wrist, that they will be there too. Remember now, all of those who followed the beast and all that it entailed were going to be condemned. That didn't mean that everyone still left on earth followed the beast at that time. Yes, it would have been very difficult not to have, but there may have been some. I don't know. Now, however, it hasn't come to the point that if it has not come, it is coming very soon. As it sounds to me, that time might just be right now. Those who would be victorious over the beast and all would be standing on that glass, it says. They would have harps, it says. It sounds to me like this glass is going to be possibly the division between heaven and hell. Maybe, I don't know. Because as we just said, if you remember, there's a scene that has glass mingled with fire in the beginning of this second verse. One commentator I read said that the glass could represent the Word of God and and that's what the elect are standing on. Could be. One fellow wrote that these are the ones who had been martyred in the tribulation period. Again, could be. I'm still of the opinion that the ones who are left have to include that last remaining group of those who were saved in the end. That's just my feeling on this alone. But I can't help but believe that. Suffice it to say that all who are left standing on this glass were victorious over the beast and the dragon, for that matter, no matter what that looks like, how that comes out. It's impossible to say. They could have been killed or they could have been persecuted from times past, clear on up to that particular time, to that particular moment. Oh yeah, these folks who were uh, playing harps also, would this separate them from everyone else in heaven? Or not is, is anyone's guess. Here comes the one that gets me though. In addition to playing harps, these folks are going to be singing as well. I know I would not be included in that particular part. You know, we've been introduced to singing in heaven and in a few other places in Revelation. 
all praising God for who He is and for His grace and mercy given to them and to us. But this is something that historically has taken place with God's people. In fact, throughout the Scriptures. But I'll give you a specific here. Exodus 15, verses 1 and 2 might be the best example that could parallel what's being sung presently in 3 and 4 and in those particular two verses in Exodus 15. In Exodus 15, we know that the previous chapter, God's people were being spared from Egyptian oppression as the people had crossed the Red Sea and the sea had closed in and destroyed all of the Egyptian army that was coming to do one thing, and that was to destroy the Israelite people, God's chosen people. I will sing to the Lord, they sang. In essence, just after being spared from the beast and the dragon and all of his armies, those who have been saved are singing to God, to his greatness as well. Revelation 5, 12 and 13 tell us that words of praise were being sung to Jesus the Lamb. Look at the song of the Lamb here in verses 3 and 4 once again. Great and marvelous are your works. Just and true are your ways. Who shall not fear you, O Lord, and glorify your name for your judgment have, judgments have been manifested. Did you hear the yours in that pronouncement? Along with the word you and some of the others, there is no doubt who this is all about. These souls knew what God had done for them. Giving praise is the only thing that they could do. We can't leave him out, can we? Of our worship, can we? There's no way that we cannot worship our God when we come together. I mean, after all, look at what He has done for all of us. Just look at the Psalms. They're songs of praise concerning God's goodness for sparing His people or maybe even in some instances just His one servant, David. So many places where God's name is being lifted up after warfare with other countries throughout the Old Testament especially. This was the norm rather than the rare occurrence. The Israelites, after war, after battle, would sing praises to God whether they won or not. That's just how dedicated they were at times. This was the norm, again, rather than the rare occurrence. Great and marvelous are your works. Just and true are your ways. You alone are holy. All nations shall come and worship you. These words sound like the many of our modern day songs that many churches sing today. I read one interesting parallel or some interesting parallels here still further between the song of Moses and the Song of the Lamb in chapter 15. Where Moses and the Israelites sang praises to God and at the Red Sea, the Song of the Lamb is sung at the Crystal Sea. The Song of Moses in Exodus was a song of triumph over Egypt. Song of the Lamb is a song of triumph over Babylon. 
The song of Moses sings of bringing God's people out of bondage. The song of the Lamb sings of bringing God's people into their eternal home. The song of Moses was the first song in Scripture. The song of the Lamb was the last. The song of Moses speaks of three things. Execution of the foe, expectation of the saints, and exaltation of the Lord. Song of the Lamb does the exact same thing. And now, more of the unleashing. Seven angels are given seven bowls of judgment. Notice now where these angels had come forth from, the tent of witness. We talked about this a few weeks ago, that the temple that, that God would be residing in in heaven Uh, previously the Ark of the Covenant would reside in the Holy of Holies in the tabernacle. But now God's final eternal place of, of existence has been laid out in heaven. And here in chapter 15, it is called the tent of witness. One thing to understand here, the tabernacle on earth was patterned after the tabernacle in heaven, not the other way around, okay? And out of the tent uh, of witness comes the angels. With them would come, as it says in verse 5, plagues. You guessed it, seven of them. The angels are given in detail as to what they were wearing at this time of introduction. They're clothed in pure, bright, white linen. They had gold sashes around their chests. Now, I don't know about y'all, but I never really thought about angels and how they were dressed. Maybe you all did. Maybe you all have always seen angels as being dressed in, in white and with golden sashes across the chest. I don't know. That's not how I saw it, but that's just me. But they are clothed in what was to represent God's purity and that His judgment is always pure and righteous. Also, there is no question from where these angels are sent. They are sent from God directly. They're not doing things on their own for their own purpose. They are not haphazardly just out and about here, okay? Picture with me now as we attempt to describe the setting. We go back to the four creatures that we saw early in the very beginning of Revelation, chapter 4, verse 8, just as we're getting glimpses of heaven From John the first time, one of these creatures gave God's wrath to these seven angels in seven bowls. Do not lose sight of the use of the number seven here either. Many times we hear that number seven represents perfection. Well, in this case, and rightfully so, I think it represents completeness or completion. Sometimes I believe completeness would represent perfection. Something might be complete because it's perfect. In this case, maybe it's saying that God's wrath in this time would complete the disasters that would befall those left here on earth. But that the wrath of God would also be the perfect ending to it all. Again, I I don't know. The wrath of God on the unbeliever reminds us of the wrath of God that was poured out on His Son, Jesus. All so that we would not have to experience 
this final wrath. It's amazing, isn't it? Jesus was asked in, in Mark 10, 38, in a conversation he had with a couple of his disciples who wanted to sit on his right and his left hand when he came into his kingdom, would they be prepared to drink the cup that he would have to drink? Now, you know, disciples not really thinking too far beyond themselves right there, not knowing what that cup of God's wrath would, be, would look like that would be placed upon his son. They said, sure, you know, we got no problem with that. Bring it on. We'll do it now. This was a cup, though, that was so disastrous, so painful, so complete, that only Jesus, God's perfect son, could do it and pull it off. Back in the temple. Remember now, God's temple is in heaven. It's full of smoke. It's uh, originating from God's glory. Remember as well, we saw smoke around in Mount Sinai when the 70 or so Israelite leaders were going to meet God in Exodus 19, as we saw a few weeks ago as well. Exodus 40, verses 34 and 35, tell of this of this same smoke and it being the glory of God. This is also known as the Shekinah. J. Vernon McGee says that the use of the term temple in heaven says to the world that Israel would be included in heavenly affairs. Maybe. I don't know. Not one soul could enter into the temple, though, until the seven bowls of wrath or the seven plagues, as it's stated here in our reading today, were doled out. Why? So that everyone understood that God was present in every single last event that takes place. It's as if he's underscoring everything that is taking place here, endorsing everything that is taking place at this juncture. Are you with me so far? This judgment was irreversible. So let's look at the bowls just a second. They're not too terribly deep first. They perhaps look like saucers. I could perhaps picture an old Frisbee upside down, if y'all have dealt with those before, if that sight makes more sense to you. These bowls would be, as, as you would expect, for, for drinking, Okay. They would be used for for drink sacrifices in that day and time. Or in some instances, they were incense holders for burning incense. In the end, the contents would be poured out very quickly, no matter what the use was for. In wrapping this short passage up, know that God's holiness demands justice. It's the part of God that so many today want to leave out concerning who God is. God is love, they say, trying to make God into one who who winks at sin and just lets it slide on by. He's not really serious about sin. God doesn't let sin slide by. His righteousness requires that sin be punished. His integrity demands that all wrongs against him be righted. And that time has come in Revelation 15. For many people, they're given the picture that God is some maniacal figure waiting to pull the lever on the trap door to send us all straight to hell. 
honestly, as a young person, that was my viewpoint of God. That was the God that I grew up knowing. That was the God that was preached to us in my younger years. That and nothing more. And I turned from the church for a number of years. I figured, why try? There was no way that I could live up to that kind of perfect life. Live like I wanted to live and suffer the consequences when the time came. When that time came. And yet what I see of God here in the end, in this chapter, is a God who, though He doesn't want things to end this way for anyone, it's because of His holiness and His righteousness. For those who refuse to see God for who He is, justice must be served. For many, this will probably be a day of great joy. Not because the the bad guys are going to get what they deserve, finally, after all this time. But because of those who had been martyred are going to be home. If anyone today will be comforted because they are protected just like God's Word said they would be. That's what we should be looking at. Yes, they will celebrate because God's justice has finally come to pass. But there's no joy in the fact that that so many were hard-hearted toward God and the Lamb whose blood was spilled not only for us, but for them as well. God will indeed right all the wrongs of all time, but particularly on that day. This is good news if you're a follower of Jesus. Not so much that if you don't know, not so much as if you if you don't know Christ as Savior. So where does that leave you today? Celebrating, reveling in the day of the Lord as we wait for His return? Or are you on the outside looking in, not knowing where you stand with Jesus because you haven't made that choice to live in and for Him? All we've talked about today are events, I believe, that are in the future. But how far down the road in the future? Can you tell me? I don't know for sure. So the question has to be asked as we close. Can you afford to wait one more day? The choice is yours. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We praise you for another lesson that tells us more about things in the future, we believe. Maybe there are things, some of the things that have already happened. We just don't know. But we do know they will take place. And so we ask you today, if you would, would you forgive us first of our ongoing hard-heartedness at times. Maybe we pray for repentance. We seek repentance. And then we go back and go back to those old sins, those old comfortable ways once more. Help us. Give us the strength. Give us the courage and wisdom to seek you rather than seek the world. Guide us, God. That's all we can ask. Just guide us. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Okay.